We are Wrestling Elitists. I'm your co-host, Alex Gibson, alongside Sean Nash and Chris Scott Moore. What's going on, boys? Yo, yo, yo. Chris, thank you for taking the assignment of going to uh, the mean streets of Greenwich and getting the first word from Shane McMahon this week. We, uh, yes. I'm we need you out there. Yeah, I'm in Greenwich. Man on the streets. Yes. <laughs> That's why my microphone sounds like shit. It's not that I'm in Davenport, Florida. It's that I'm in Greenwich, Connecticut on that mean street posse. I'm hanging out with Pete Gass. Rolling a rolling a rolling a fatty with uh, I can't even think of the other guy. Oh God. What's the other ones? Joey Mags or Joey Oh Weather or Ken Tacky, I don't know, yeah. whatever. Forgetful. That's what yeah. they were. If you uh if, if one of our listeners can think of it, go ahead and leave us a five star review yeah. and in the comments, leave that name for us. Just that name. That'll be perfect. Uh, please remember to subscribe to the show via Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Give us a five-star review to help out the show. Follow us on Twitter at Wrestling Elitist Podcast. If you have a question you want us to discuss on the show, feel free to add it to one of the comments section. Tag us on Twitter or reach out to us via our website. We'll discuss whatever it is that you want to talk about on the show next week. And last but not least, please visit the website, WrestlingElitist.com, to check out our latest match ratings and latest articles. Sean, can you let the people know what's going on today? Yep, every week we hit you with our match, moments, news items, and cringe-worthy items of the week, and then leave you off with what we're anticipating in the weeks and months to come. Yes, and then at the end of this episode, I will do a little bit of trivia to kind of look back on the year that was 2021 for for AEW. Uh, I have not prepped the boys for what it's going to be covering at all, so uh, looking forward to seeing who might get some stuff right there. Uh, Sometimes when we do this show, it feels like there's five or six options for match of the week or, or moment of the week. And when we're all debating different areas and we could have a very different show and then other weeks, the show seems to write itself. And that's what this week seems to be. So let's kick it off. Let's go to our match of the week, which was across the board, MJF defeating CM Punk in Chicago. Sean, what were your thoughts? I thought it was a great match. I thought, uh, thank God they gave it like nearly 45 minutes to go because they definitely needed that time. Uh, I think I, I think we all agreed in giving it four stars. I think there was kind of one thing. I, I know Alex, you brought it up in our group chats. I definitely think we should bring it up. There's one little one little stale moment that might have brought it down a notch, took away a little quarter of a star for it. But a great slow methodical build by CM Punk, just really taking all his frustration and anger out and every single hit or uh, move that he put on MJF. Um, he, he missed a spear, uh, into the, the ring post or something that kind of opened up the doors for, uh, MJF to be a super, super duper heel and just target those areas. Uh, got to some great selling points by punk, not being able to hold on to a, a submission move, just great selling, uh, not even being able to hold up the, uh, the go to sleep after that. F- fantastic work in the ring. Just they're amazing storytellers and then both of them being mjf being so new to the scene compared to uh, cm punk it was just great um i'm surprised alex you're uh the moment that you didn't like was not the the frank the clown sighting because clearly that that was just rubbish to see right from the big get-go of that match but uh like you like you brought up in the text is that dq issue it did kind of take away from some things i i wanted to hear you guys's just really sell off this match before we get into the the dirty of it. But what did you think, Alex? Yep. So uh, four stars, just like, just like you said, uh, actually a really, really good match overall. I, I would have loved to have given it more, but for me, it, there was that, that false finish DQ that there was, that they had didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Uh, especially when you look back that previously there was a match on the same card where somebody got misblown in their face, which caused them to lose and the match didn't get restarted, which that's obvious. There's mist on the guy's face. It's it sticks there. So for me to see that in the same show is really annoying. And I just think from a precedent standpoint, there's plenty of times where it's clear that somebody cheated and they don't restart a match. So I just I understand what they were going for in it, especially being in Chicago, it being CM Punk's potential first loss in that moment, MJF being a heel. It all makes sense as to why they wanted to do that. But it doesn't make sense in terms of AEW's never had that happen before. So why are they going back? Why are they restarting a match at that moment? So I need some sort of a 
like this week, there to be like a retcon of why that was allowed, why they did that. Because otherwise, to me, it just doesn't make sense in terms of the rules of AEW. Then on the other side, the only other small complaint I have, which this is actually a compliment mostly to the team there. The commentary team catches everything. They always talk about even the smallest details that are going on that I might not even catch originally, but you hear them talking about it. Based on where they sit for the events, they should have seen Wardlow passing off that ring to MJF. I get from a story perspective why they wouldn't notice it, but it doesn't make sense because the commentary is so strong. How did they not see MJF reach up and grab something out of uh, Wardlow's hand in that moment? It made for a really cool finish. I, I liked the way that it finished and everything like that, uh, especially with every, everything that's been going on with Wardlow. I love like that turn and everything like that. So you're like, what's going on here? And then, you know, it turns out he was actually helping MJF cheat. I love the way it worked out. It's just, it didn't make sense to me that the commentary team didn't notice it. But other than that, absolutely great match. Um, I love seeing the Pepsi plunge. I think that was our first time seeing that in what, 17 years, something like that. Uh, Great slow build. Uh, I was in one of my group chats for wrestling at the time. And when uh, when they started coming out at like 9.15, everyone was like, there's no way this match is going 45 minutes. It did. And it kind of flew by. You know, you think we've seen some pretty epic matches lately with Omega and Danielson, uh, Danielson versus Hangman one and two. And that one didn't feel nearly as long. So uh, it, it really flew by. Chris, what were your thoughts? Yeah, it's funny that all of a sudden the refs took genius pills and they saw that when they've been uh, completely incompetent for so long and they let people do the uh, 20 count when they're doing double team work. Um, and speaking of uh, idiot pills, so I would be remiss if I didn't say it was Joey Abs and Pete Gast, part of the Mean Street Posse, because I wouldn't be able to fucking live with myself if I didn't get that right. Look um, at you. Yeah, the false finish with MJM using the tape and using the headlock. Um at least that was in a middle towards the end portion of the, like kind of like, I don't know, what was it? 20, 30 minutes in. It wasn't like, it was like towards the very end and they had one more minute left in the match and restarted it. And then it went to a finish. So at least I had like a little bit of a breathing room to get over that. And it wasn't, I don't know to me, that wasn't as bad. I like the old school 80 style heat shit getting that uh, MJF does there. The problem is, is MJF doesn't wrestle as often because that's his character. He doesn't wrestle every week. He chooses not to. And it would have made sense if it was like a Triple H and Earl Hebner Circle 2000, where Triple H was just pushing Hebner's buttons so much where he felt obligated to stand up for himself and try to fuck the competitor heel over. So that would be the only downfall of that little spot. But I liked, hey, that they tried something different and it wasn't a... Um, at least they set a new precedent that like, okay, if we restart the match, a heel can win and it's not going to be just an automatic, the baby face getting the victory. So I thought that was okay. I love that they didn't have a shitload of false finishes and do finish or spam towards the end of the match. I love that CM Punk lost. Um, it's about time he's lost before in his career. It's not that he needed to lose, but it's good that MJF got the big win over him. And I think what it does, uh, the the uh, negative of this is it puts MJF in the position to get the title shot, not um, Adam Cole. I would think MJF is a more logical challenger, not Adam Cole, which they're building to. Uh, the other thing that I wanted to talk about with you guys as well is I thought um, very deflating that the rating wasn't as strong as I thought it was going to be. I thought this was going to be one of their highest ratings they've ever gotten. And this was under, I think, a million in terms of total viewers. Um, which was surprising. I didn't know that South Park was that much of a draw still, um, but I would have thought this would have been one of their highest rated segments. And I hope they don't get skittish over MJF and they feel like, okay, now we have to cut bait on him because he's such a great character and this is his great moment. Uh, and I'm glad for, for him. And I know Punk uh, love that he built MJF and gave him a moment to shine. I know there's probably work shoot heat between the two of them, but I bet uh, deep down punk fucking loves this guy and love that he got to create a moment for him. So it's cool to see uh, that he got to make someone in such a great fashion. I am not going to pretend to know really anything at all about the ratings world, but from everything I saw based on the, I think it's like WrestleNomics or somebody like that, that was tweeting out afterwards. Uh, it sounds like they actually still did really good in the important, like the demo stuff to where like, it's really not a concern. Like the fact that they got less than a million bummer, but like 
the people that were watching. Uh, yeah, were the that was my people. thing. It was like, yeah, yeah. it was a bummer because I, I just expected it to be one of the top rated um, matches they've ever had or segments they've ever had, especially with um, the, I don't know, the psychology of fans watching more if it's a longer match. Um, so I don't know. I just expected more viewers there, but whatever. It is what it is. Yeah, I think uh, I think that we'll see over the next few you know months MJF exactly how how big of a draw he is because like you said I don't know that I can see them uh, ignoring his his potential as the uh, next next challenger for Hangman at this point. I still think it'll be Cole at Revolution. I don't know how they'll do that. I'm guessing maybe they'll distract MJF with the Wardlow stuff, but that also seems so soon. I mean, we're already in our second week of February now. And basically I think, what are we four weeks away from revolution at this point? So, wow. So it's, it's coming soon. So, I mean, that's probably not really going to be until double or nothing. So who knows there? Um, awesome. Well, there's also, so I wanted to give an honorable mention to, to another match that happened this week. And specifically because we had all three of us had the same match of the week, most weeks, especially recently, this would have been my match of the week. It was uh, Jay Lethal versus Ricky Starks. And first of all, uh, Ricky Starks, probably the best theme in AEW right now. I just, I love it. It fits him. Absolutely. It's, it's fun to hear. Uh, but the the whole match was really good. But that final sequence that they had um, with uh, Jay Lethal going for the lethal injection and on the back, the, the back handspring of it, uh, getting caught by Ricky Starks for the Rochambeau to finish it. That was one of the most beautiful finisher counters into another finisher I've ever seen. I actually can't think off the top of my head of any like better kind of transition than that because it was so it was seamless. They they pulled it off perfectly. I think to me, Ricky Starks is a guy that in 2022 needs to really get the rocket put behind him. I'm not saying he needs to be, you know, getting a hangman type of push for the AEW World Heavyweight Championship, but I I need to see the TNT title around his waist at some point this year. Uh, I would love to see him be the one that takes it off Sammy, to be honest. And then, you know, from there, uh, Jay Lethal, I think, has been a bit of an like an under-the-radar signing that they've had since he joined back at full gear. He He's a veteran, but he's still pretty young. He also probably has a couple of decent runs in his career left, despite being around for 20-something years at this point. Um, I'm just really excited to see where he goes and and see uh, where Ricky Starks goes because Ricky to me is he's the full package in terms of a guy that can talk. Uh, he can, he's got a pretty cool finisher and he's, he can actually wrestle too. Chris. Yeah. With Jay lethal, uh, we mentioned in our chat before we started recording today that he's done a great job of putting over new talent. And, and like you mentioned too, like, I don't know how much bumps he's got left in his body. I mean, I know he's not old. He's not in his, late 40s but he's been in the business for so long wrestling a high uh octane style so who knows how long he can still wrestle but ricky starks is great and imagine how much money it's going to be when it's him versus hook that's going to be the shit it'd be huge maybe that's that's why tony hasn't announced a detroit show he's going to give us that we we (laughs) deserve Hook versus Hook versus it's, a, it's a hook and a fucking gauntlet match. <laughs> I, I will say I saw someone on Reddit uh, pitch that uh, for like a t- team Taz breakup, Stark should be the guy that beats Hook. And I would actually like that. Uh, that but, but at the same time, I also don't want, I don't want that to happen for 20 years. So that's going to be a hook. Right. <laughs> so uh, awesome. Well, Let's move over to our moment of the week, which once again, there was uh, all three, three of us around there uh, had the same exact one. Dan, uh, Brian Danielson pitching to uh, John Moxley, a potential uh, unholy alliance there, a little bit of bad meets evil, I kind of felt like there, and uh, a potential faction that I think everybody's kind of had in their mind. I don't think we've pictured Moxley being the other veteran in that, though. I think a lot of us thought it'd be potentially punk. But uh, Sean, what were your thoughts during that moment? Uh, I mean, I think this was a, a dream offer. I would, I would love to get this this little present thrown at my door if I was John Moxley. Um, I would love to meet the person whose moment this wouldn't have been this week. Uh, they're definitely not a wrestling fan. Uh, this is a thing that we've kind of reiterated on the the podcast of it being Punk and Daniel uh, Brian Danielson tagging together. Nice save. 
but um, I just think finally someone's listening to our stuff on the AEW uh, payroll. Lee Moriarty, Daniel Garcia. uh, Did they say Serena Deeb or am I just imagining that because you guys have said that? I was like, where is Serena Deeb in that? Yeah, we've just burned that into your mind. Right. Yeah, it's just there. And that'd be perfect. That's a perfect female branch of, of this bad meets evil because that's kind of perfect for these two uh as soon as brian said like i i thought that we should be fighting but uh i think we should be working together just throwing it to uh part of my take verbal meme i just thought chris farley's brother's hug just it was so perfect i i I loved it these two it's such an odd pairing because the the differing like uh play that they're doing yeah. but i mean end result is basically the same thing an unconscious body in the ring and their hand held high um brian said even if they don't like me they like what i'm talking about right now uh we definitely did uh please john say yes say yes to the dress take this and run with it what did you guys think i loved it i thought it was a fantastic segment and i think even if they do it where um moxley doesn't join kind of like he didn't join inner circle um that's fine you can still do daniel garcia um wheeler yuda and then having serena deeb in there would be awesome um i just love where this angle could potentially go even if it's these guys creating like a ring of honor-esque staple um and trying to bring that type of style in and i would love that but i would also love to see moxley and danielson go at it too and just have that be a match at revolution so it's a win-win whatever way they go with it uh i didn't think it's funny though that uh he just buried 2.0 it was like garcia gets rid of those goofs and that's something that we've been saying too for so long because once he gets separated (laughs) from 2.0 and it's like he's listening to the show so it was a funny moment for me, but I love the chemistry that they have together. The fans were so into it and the control they had over the crowd was great. And then Moxley's looks to the camera and making those meme faces were fucking hysterical. He was having a blast. Um, and it's, you know, again, it's good to see guys enjoy themselves and feel like they can be creative and be happy that you can just see it in these two that they're enjoying what the fuck they're doing. This isn't a chore. They're not reciting lines. They're not having to memorize a script. They're in the moment and they're feeling it and you can feel it and see it. So it's a great segment. It was one of my favorite segments they've done so far this year. I I loved the segment. Uh, I actually texted Sean uh, separately from our group chat because Chris was a little bit behind at the moment. You were behind in the yeah, moment. You, were behind. You, had said no, you had said no spoilers. Uh, so honored that and uh was talking to sean about it in the moment and i said if moxley declines this he becomes the heel in this feud because who doesn't want to see this this group happen yeah kind Uh, of that's a that's such a great take oh my god i didn't think about that but that's so spot on but uh so i i'm yeah i loved it i i enjoyed hearing uh Danielson say some things that you could tell were like like him. I mean, he even shit on Danhausen, the the newest signing. He said something about him. Oh yeah. Uh, but like, I I just felt that it was clear that he was just being an overly serious wrestler. He wasn't actually uh, truly like burying anybody. And then uh, I, I I do wonder though if he doesn't take it because to me there it just there's more synergy with it with his with the partner for this being like CM Punk or a recently released Samoa Joe, uh, or somebody along those lines, somebody that is that that true ROH guy from from back in the day. Because as much as I love Mox and him he is a you know a, you know a former WWE guy with Danielson, he's also not like that same style of wrestler. He's like a brawler, like kind of the anti indie guy really from what you think of in like 2010, like 2011, that ROH area era. So I really wonder where, where that goes. And, and Danielson was applauding him because he felt Moxley was sinking to his level, you know, and he wasn't trying to be, he wasn't yeah. trying to recruit him. He thought he was on like, Oh, he was getting as dirty as I am because his new style is very aggressive in the ring. Um, but I do like, I mean, uh, yeah, you could say like, Oh, he's shitting on new signees or he's making fun of the different styles, but that's what's great about AEW is it does cater to so many different types of fans. And there is an audience within AEW 
me that likes to see authentic, real wrestling, real sports related wrestling, um, as opposed to some of the Gaga. So, Hey, it works. Um, and I kind of thought about it just driving home today. Um, originally it being Brian Kendrick and we talk about like it, there being another member or a leader. Do you think that there was like, cause there's, there's a relationship with Brian and Brian that do you think there was any kind of bringing him into this because of their long friendship? Are you saying there was a conspiracy? Maybe there was, <laughs> maybe there was. Ah, I'll know. get to that in a minute. <laughs> think about it. Just think about it. Ah, <laughs> <sighs> Yeah, there there had to have been some tie-in with that Kendrick match originally, right. and I, I wonder what that was and what changed yeah, between, no, it was. Yeah. between that news. Uh, speaking of that news, news of the week. News. Once again, we are all on the same page. Uh, you know, three for three so far. Shane McMahon fired by his own father. Sean, talk to the people. Shane O'Matt, the prodigal son getting fired by his father. Finally, his father gets to yell it at him. He probably did in the old WWF TV days. Uh, there's so much r- rumors and uh, just uh, garbage garbage website, wrestling sites of just things that have happened about this. So who knows the full complexity and of all of it. But there's the rumors of him fighting Seth Rollins. That was his angle he was trying to push in the, the Rumble. Awful. I would have I walked right out of Dallas, Texas, as soon as that happened, if we if we got to see that. Uh there was some comment I saw of Randy Orton telling him, You're not gonna you're not gonna hear your music, just get out there and do it. And just kind of interesting because the only people who really get to hear their full intro would be one or two. So if we had to do a whole battle or royal of Shane O'Mac, God, that'd be awful. Like him trying to outbox everyone, even Riddle, just makes zero sense. Um, crazy contrast from like the old Shane O'Mac back in the attitude era where he would kind of do anything to try and get daddy's love, but now he's just trying to steal the spotlight on daddy's show. So super weird. It's probably our fault for giving him such a, uh, great reaction when he came back in Detroit, back uh, at the Joe Lewis RIP. Uh, I'm sure he'll be back. I mean, it's, it's his dad's company, so it's not going to be for long. What did you guys think? He'll for sure be back. This seems to be because there was such a negative reaction to the Rumble. What's weird, though, is if you've noticed, there's been a trend lately of when guys get let go from WWE, all of a sudden these stories leak about how difficult they were to work with and how awful they were. The weirdest one to me was Keith Lee because he just seems like the nicest person in the world, and a lot of people kind of seem to refute that. So it it wonders if... And on my end, if there's a kind of concerted, like an effort to just from the WWE side to make themselves look a little bit better by le- leaking all of this. Oh, Shane was being hard to work with. He wanted to be number one in the Royal in the Royal Rumble. Uh, Brock Lesnar had to tell him that they weren't doing things a certain way. I don't doubt that he's got an ego and that he probably was doing some of that. But I think there's also a little bit of effort to potentially make that look a little bit worse because it just seems weird some of the stuff that's coming out and it it doesn't really make sense especially considering he like just got a job as an executive at some like electric car company like a couple months ago so i don't think that that was going to be his full-time thing anyways but super weird to to see that news that he was fired that feels it felt like i was at first when i like saw the the article i thought it was like a kayfabe news thing or something like that like a satire article definitely and uh odd but I'll, I'll never forget that moment when we were at joe lewis arena we had seen rumors that there was something big happening and i remember us even saying like what if it's shane o'mac or it's kurt angle like that'll be amazing we were, we were eating at i can't think of that bar's name uh, um, uh harry's i thought it was tommy something or Tom. tommy's bar Tom. yeah tommy's bar uh, and, and reading some rumors that somebody was going to be there, but we had no idea. And then to hear, here comes the money was just so, so exciting. Uh, one of the coolest moments, uh, to be at live for me as a wrestling fan, if you watch videos on YouTube, it, it gets like, it's in the top three usually of like biggest pops ever uh, for wrestling shows. So I'm always going to be grateful for that. But also I think WWE messed up when he came back. They didn't make him a special attraction that only had a random hardcore match once a year or something like that. 
They tried to make him a real character and someone who was regularly wrestling matches. He shouldn't be doing that. They need to learn how to make a special attraction a special attraction. He was best in the world. Yeah, I was going to say, he had that very special attraction doing that gimmick. Um, yeah, it's, it's just hard to square it because the, all the dirt sheet, or not dirt sheet, but shoot uh, interviews you hear from guys in the 90s and 2000s say he's such a cool dude and just super chill and fun to be around and like not an asshole. And every report about his conduct and behavior was, um, it made it seem like he was on like drugs or something. Just like how like aggressive and difficult he was to deal with. And it's like, yeah, it just didn't seem like that's him. Um, yeah. And, uh, I don't think he's gone permanently. He'll be back for, he'll be back for a Saudi show. That's a perfect thing for him to come back and challenge Roman one day. Like it just, it sucks, but that's where, what, that's, what's going to happen. Um, it's a shame that he's, uh, on the outside cause he is fun to watch as a special attraction for sometimes, but he's also not legitimate, uh, and he's in his striking attempts against Riddle. That's just fucking ridiculous. And you'd think like Riddle would just be like, nah, I'm just going to tag you for real. I'm <laughs> just like, yeah, fuck that shit. I'm not going along with this. Please. Especially if he was that difficult to deal with. Like I could imagine him going like, no, fuck you. Cause he would do that to Lesnar or Goldberg or anyone else who tried to be cute with him. Like he's a fucking badass. So to have, I don't know. I thought that was silly. Some of his spots in the rumble. So, uh, yeah, but it's also, you know, at the end of the day though, the blame goes to Vince for why did you allow him to do that? And it's everyone's creative that's terrible, and it's everyone's fault that the rumble isn't good, and it's everyone's fault that the storylines don't make sense. Well, you're the main editor; it's your it's your script that you're writing at the end of the day. And how come there's no accountability for uh, his poor taste and poor execution? So, I don't know. I, I I throw it at Vince for letting his son do this, who's not even in a creative position officially. Um. Alex, going back to that that Joe Lewis show, I, I recall the the news being on a level of dick size of Dave Batista as well. That was there was some uh, I believe that was the scale that we were given. Yes. Yeah, that's the uh, the measurements we were using. And did didn't Vince like say fuck on TV at that yeah, at did. the end yeah, of that? Yeah, he said fuck yeah. on TV. It was great. Just that was actually what the surprise was that the guy was referring to was just that. Vince was going to say that drop an F bomb that word. <laughs> no um, longer PG. Uh, I'll, I, one other thing, and this is just my stupid HR brain is just thinking about how annoying of a like golden parachute Shane probably got to go to take the heat, to be, uh, to be the, you know, the reason the rumble was bad and to, to eat all this and why they were probably like, well, just, you know, take this money and let us say whatever we want about you for the next year. He probably got an insane payday to do that. There's been a lot of guys that have been in a creative power uh, that have just took the brunt of it doesn't work anymore or your release with Bischoff, Heyman, Road Dog, Triple H. <laughs> I just think there's so many people lately that are uh, stalwarts back in their time and got creative roles again that shouldn't perhaps have gotten those creative roles. I don't know. It's just uh, more shit needs to go on Vince's plate than uh chains i think but i mean we're not there we don't know what the fuck we're talking about and to a certain extent we don't know what really happened and what the interactions were but i i I do put the blame on vince for why things are uh so stagnant and why that rumble was so atrocious and silly starts from the top extreme ownership uh (laughs) (laughs) speaking of uh you know things coming from the top and conspiracies let's make it four for four cringe of the week we're on the same page once again uh we already talked about it a little bit touched on it but brian kendrick some you know he was announced last week i think on tuesday or maybe it was wednesday morning that he was going to be facing john moxley uh, on dynamite last week then videos come out of him uh from 2011 i believe where it was essentially a documentary where he was explaining how 9-11 wasn't real the holocaust wasn't real uh, and a lot of other uh, kind of anti-Semitic rhetoric, um, which I don't really remember Kendrick's uh, gimmick at the time, but I've seen a lot of response of people who said, this isn't surprising if you watched him in TNA at that time, uh, because he was doing this conspiracy gimmick, uh, which I believe is because that was his real kind of like he was known as a conspiracy theorist. So they kind of turned that into his gimmick on on TV. 
Uh, so that was a, a take that I had seen that they're like, this is actually pretty spot on for him. Now I'm not, not, not in terms of that being like defending, like he was doing that as a character, like just that that's literally him. Like that's not a, uh, that's not a character essentially is what people were saying there. But what were your thoughts on that, Sean? Yeah, that's the the classic Hulk Hogan has a 10 inch penis, but Terry has a, as a four. No, 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 no. It wasn't that it was literally like, Hey, you know how like, it's like the best characters are yourself turned up to 10. Uh, yeah. So it was saying, it was saying that, no, this is actually the real Brian Kendrick is this conspiracy. This conspiracy. Yeah. He, he put out an apology tweet kind of saying that, uh, this wasn't me. This is this was when I truly believed, but that's kind of hard hard to say. I mean, when it's it's actual video, and then you do like a an intro welcome for the weird YouTube page. Like clearly, you sat down and you you worked well with them. So it's very weird. There's uh his words were apparent, and it's just uh it's awful. Um, kind of someone who flies under the radar in the wrestling world, in my eyes, kind of, and then comes back for something big like this and boom, he's kind of gone again. Um, hopefully he gets help if he's, he's got these weird delusional ideas, but uh, I don't, I don't really want to say much more on him other than just, yeah, get help. What about you, Chris? No, you're just echoing my thoughts. Exactly. I think first on the uh, anti, anti-Semitic spectrum, um, the reptile people, Rothschild conspiracy, lizard people shit and Holocaust denials about as far right and disgusting as you can get. And that's as low as you can go. Um, not that any anti-Semitism is ever okay, but that's just the most extreme side of it. Um, and I echo what you said. I hope he gets help and I hope he does get publicly shamed because public shaming is a jarring experience. It's, you can say cancel culture and they go, it's supposed to be this angle. It's a character, man. Or like the people are snowflakes. No, but like, this is an opportunity for him to get his worldview shook up where it makes him address that he does have a problem. And he goes and talks to someone because you don't have those viewpoints. Um, if you're not coming from a place of hurt or extreme vulnerability, and there's something not right with him to cling on to those beliefs, to truly believe that Sandy hook was a hoax, like fuck off. That's such a, disgusting way to think um and to believe all this heinous shit it's you're obviously hurting so much that you're clinging to those beliefs and we're all hurt and we all uh process our viewpoints and schemas and worldview from a place of pain and vulnerability but hopefully he gets addressed and he gets help and i hope people that are his friends in the community go like you need to fucking talk to someone or enough's enough like you got to fucking fix yourself it's it's no different than if a wrestler is hitting a woman uh, people need to step up and say, hey, we're going to do an um, uh, intervention and help your ass out. Um, he's got to help himself right now, too. And I, hopefully he does have people left that care about him, that want him to get better. Because uh, public shaming is good because, again, it makes you reassess your values. And it does put you in a place where you realize you do have to change. But hopefully there's people that do push him to get change. And he's not just... Um, uh, you know, dismissed and completely canceled and he doesn't have an opportunity to get better because he's just going to cling on to these atrocious beliefs even more. Yeah. I think that that's always my, my big thing is I, I want to see him, you know, come out and if he doesn't actually believe that now, I, I wish he would have addressed it before because it's been out there for a while and you kind of know that this stuff will come up. So I, he should have just came yeah. out before and, and, and come, you know, and said, Hey, I used to say some stuff cause there's no point in trying to hide and hope that people don't find it. Cause they will. Yeah. In that case, when you make a full documentary, it's not like he just put out a tweet one day randomly that he's like, Oh, it was a joke. I didn't realize it. Like he went full in on a, <laughs> on a lot of stuff with it. <laughs> right. And like I said, he based his wrestling character off of this kind of similar idea for so long around that time too. So like it was clearly there was, there was something to it. Um, but I, I also believe that, um, you know, if, if he if he's willing to, you know, take the steps necessary, I, I think that it doesn't mean that his life has to be over. Just, you know, you need to you no. need to come out better than this and, and get help. I, it doesn't do any good to do that stuff. So I think I'd you guys covered everything. That. I'd else love to I hear that about him, that he got help and he got better. That's such yeah. a rewarding, great story that um, he doesn't have this sickening view anymore. And like. I don't know. It just inspires people that it's possible. It's like wrestlers who go like Jake Roberts and get help with substance abuse and suicidal ideation. Like, eh, it's nice to know that he's fucking okay. And same with Kendrick. I'd love to know that he's doing good because it's sad to see someone exist this way. 
It is. And um, hopefully, hopefully all is well. And I think that AEW handled it the right way. They didn't say we've terminated it. We've done all it was, Hey, we're going to not, we're going to not have him wrestle tonight. And we're going to investigate this more. I think that that's the way to look at, you know, rather than a brash reaction in either way of keeping it happening or being like, he's severed, he's dead to us. Whatever. Like that just, like you said, it just doesn't do you a whole lot of good long-term. No. And, and they handled um, this. And, and I'd rather yeah. see. Yeah. Didn't mean to speak so. over you. Sorry about that. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I just second those thoughts. They entirely, they, they handled it in the entirely the right, correct way. And it's the biggest night of their biggest star, uh, Jewish star, MJF and like he doesn't need to have this shit going on in his biggest night of his career. This doesn't need to take the spotlight. This is his time and his moment. Absolutely. Um awesome. Well, let's move on to our our final segment of the week, our anticipation of the week. This is the only spot where there is any uh any dissenters. So, Ugh. let's <laughs> I know, right? Come on. So, Who so Sean. Um start with you. I, I thought this was, again, an easy choice. Um, Tony Khan just dangles this little tweet in front of us all that there's going to be some entrant into uh, that forbidden door. and We get a face of the revolution qualifying match against uh, Isaiah Cassidy on this Wednesday's Dynamite. Uh, I think we can think of probably five people each real quick of just who it could be. I mean, there's classic Jeff Hardy, Gargano, uh, Samoa Joe would be great. Keith Lee, a lot of those wrestlers or the talent that got cut in the the, the big last uh, WWE round of cuts. I think their 90 days are up now, so everyone's kind of free game. Um, possibilities are endless. It'll be great. And then we'll be getting on to that face of the revolution match at, uh, at Revolution. So that'll be fun too. What'd you guys think? Yeah, I had the same exact one as you. I think that uh, that tweet that Tony had, it, the, the scary thing is, is it gives me that same fear that we had when Christian ultimately was the person that mm. debuted. I, I've enjoyed Christian since he's been here, but they overhyped that so much. So much. And and Tony's been weird about the way that he's promoting this because it sounds like it's going to be a game changer or, you know, or like it's something that's going to shock, shock the system. Uh Shout out to the uh, the Undisputed Era. But I don't really know who that could possibly be at this point. And uh, in, in the way that he worded it was, you know, it, the forbidden door doesn't have to be somebody that we're working with and, and all of those things. This person's going to sign a deal once they're done. So the only thing that I could think of, which I, I, I want to go on record and say I don't believe this will actually happen, would be if they're like, if they told Mustafa Ali, like, Hey, we will pay your, your fees to get out of your contract. Come on, come on down. Ooh. I don't think that that's it. I, I, I mean, I just, cause I feel like they'll get a cease and desist and then it'll be useless. He won't be able to be on TV for a while anyways. Um, but that's like the only thing that I can think of that really makes sense in the context of his tweet. Uh, obviously then there's the, the, Oh, is it Jeff Hardy? But I think he's still within 90 days. So unless he has, uh, decided to pass up on the 90 day notice, he wouldn't necessarily be available. And also the fact that the young bucks put something about Jeff Hardy in their bio makes me think that it's not him. I don't, I don't think they'd spoil that. That's just kind of lame at that point. Uh, so I, I don't know who it could be that would not disappoint me is I guess the problem is the, really the problem, but Good problem to have. I, that is my, uh, that is my anticipation as well. Chris, what was yours or what were your thoughts on that? Yeah. My thoughts on this real quick is I think it does put undue expectations if it gets hyped up too high. Cause Christian's yeah, he's been fine. He's did a great job and he's putting over new talent and partnering with jungle boy and he's been great, but people thought it was going to be Okada. <laughs> And I kind of do now. I think like, oh, maybe it's Okada. It's like, no, okay, it's not Okada. Calm the fuck down. Um, and with Jeff Hardy, um, I don't know, maybe like he hasn't cashed any of his checks from his 90-day notice and he's able to go in and they, he's challenging it because of the way he was separated or terminated. I don't know. So maybe there's some way to do that there. Um, boy, I'd love it for them to be able to uh, – it, it goes into this weird legal – gray area where it chant where it challenges um releases in these 90 day waiting periods and that's what tony's referring to i was like okay no it's all bullshit like we can just bring on people um but my hope is for jay white even though that's not gonna happen but jay white's been an impact and he's been on the 
uh, US or North America quite a bit lately. So maybe that will be it, but I doubt that would be the case, but uh, we can all dream. Um, my uh, anticipation that I'm looking forward to though, is I'm looking forward to uh, Hangman and Lance Archer. I think that's going to be a gangbusters main event. I'm excited for that. It's in uh, the Atlantic City Boardwalk, home of WrestleMania four and five. which was one of my like favorite venues from back in the day. Um, <clears throat> I don't know. I always thought it was a cool visual and a great uh, wrestling venue that they don't run too often anymore. Uh, site of a lot of famous boxing matches with Tyson back in the late '80s. So I like seeing that venue. It'll be a, a cool atmosphere. Um, not as cool of an atmosphere as it would be if it was at like you know Little Caesars Arena or you know, Wayne States or Oakland University's ooh, ooh. arena, you know, or fuck even the Plymouth ice arena. I mean, that would be great. I mean, who knows? That's good. I mean, I mean, let's get nuts. Let's think of it. But um, no, I'm excited for that match. I think it's going to be good. And like, I, I, I do want to see Hangman wrestle more. He just hasn't wrestled it enough as a, as the champion. And he could easily pull a stone cold Steve Austin type streak of like, Nope, fuck no, I'm fighting tonight. And it's just going to be a non-title match. And I'm just going to fight someone. And then maybe he can lose to someone and make them a challenger. Whatever. But just to get him on screen more in wrestling on a consistent basis is something that's needed. Um, I don't think his run is damaged goods by any means. But I, I do want to see him wrestle more. So I'm excited to just to see him defend. I, I will say I was kind of shook by the fact that I thought about the Cleveland show that we went to and realized how much I didn't necessarily miss that we didn't see Hangman during that. Because I loved the run-up to Hangman. I I wore a shirt that uh, looked like a 90s Western shirt for Hangman at that show. And then he didn't come out. We didn't see him. Uh, but I, I really didn't ultimately miss him there. Well, and I think that's the tyranny of how many guys they have signed, signed right now is that like, you have so many different people in a star position and they rotate who's going home, who the main event is all the time and who's starting the show. And so who's like Kurt jerking the curtain and main eventing. There's not like a clear delineation of who's a top guy or not sometimes. So I don't know. It's a, uh, yeah, they haven't made uh, hangman look like he's the undisputed top big star that everything is focused and predicated upon. And he is absent a little too much in my mind. Yeah. The last uh, Texas Deathmatch Lance Archer put on was pretty fun. Got the title off of John Moxley. So, I mean, titles have changed, but I think it'll just be a fun match. Uh, I think this is a match that Lance Archer really thrives in. So, good for him. And it'll be fun to see him kind of get a good match as he come back, comes back. It'll be a good match for sure. I just wish that I had even a 2% thought that archer had a chance of winning here yeah. but also they're all they always i know that it's one of those things where they always have these types not just in AEW, elsewhere you know where there's a, kind of a transitional challenger to the champion before the next big yeah. one but i just but even usually like that's one thing i'll give wwe is there's been in the past when they've done that i still like had a, like a weird thought that maybe this could happen i mean look at what they did with gender beating uh randy orton however many years ago like it it does happen and they usually do a good job of kind of heating a guy up for it. I feel like a lot of the heating up for Archer has been on dark or, you know, dark elevation, whatever. So not necessarily on TV. I thought the first time we really saw something cool from him was this past week, which is a week before the, the match happened. So I, I wish they would have given it a little bit more uh, TV time, but also it's going to be a good match. Lance Archer can go. Uh, and so can, uh, hangman plus it's a texas death match i was at the texas death match uh against mox they were insane so i'm, I'm excited about it and they put himself in a weird position too because they can't like adam cole isn't believable of him beating page either at revolution like he's just not based on who he's wrestled and what his i don't know programs have been so far since he's debuted um and you also like have had this great precedent of guys having a reign for eight months to a year so Hangman's going to look like shit if he drops the title to someone on a fluke. Like his, his, his whole run goes down and his character is really floundering at that point. And it's going to take him two years to get rehabbed. So yeah, I mean, it's not the worst thing, but like they're, they are in a weird spot. It is. And I, I do want to talk real quick. Uh, I, I didn't have this in our show notes, but I just was thinking about it. 
So I'm throwing this at you guys. This isn't an anticipation. This actually probably belonged in the cringe section. But is there a reason that we're getting, and it kind of goes along with the the Archer stuff, why are we getting Dan Lambert kind of representing him now? It doesn't make sense that Lambert's with Men of the Year and kind of with Archer. And then Archer also has Jake the Snake and Archer Talks. I don't understand what's going on with that. It feels like, did Lambert sign like a deal for a certain amount of appearances and they're just trying to get, get out of that? Like, they're just like, let's double up on appearances because it makes no, the Brandy segment before that with, with Lambert was weird. Uh, and then to have him come out again shortly after, I, I just don't get what, what the end game is with this. I don't get what the end game is either, but he gets a reaction. And I think maybe that's just what they're chasing right now is to him to get, some sort of heat and maybe that transfers on to Lance Archer. I don't know. Like Lambert is very, um, I mean, I think he's cringeworthy as fuck and his act has run stale, but people do react to it. Um, I don't know. And that matters. And same with Brandy, like people don't like her, but they react and maybe that means something somehow, or that means something in terms of engagement from a social standpoint. I'm not sure. Um, well, they react to Brandy's banger of an entrance theme because that hell thing, yeah, that she just needs to come out just for that. That's a that's a hit. Um, and yeah, I guess like the only thing I could say to it is Dan Lambert's your your MMA UFC connection to where WWE's got Ronda Rousey now, so try and suckle any bit of that teat. But hopefully, they're just trying to run through some some scheduled or already paid in advance. Uh, sightings because he just needs to go yeah and i will say that she does have a phenomenal theme uh, we i think we were all impressed with it when it came when she came out at the cleveland show we we're like wait what that's brandy's theme that's why are we bopping but yeah that let's get rid of cody's stupid theme <laughs> and give cody her theme as well uh just make that a couple's theme i think and, uh, and, and her finisher name too stretch marks that's so fucking cool <laughs> I, love I love it i love it all right, boys, it is trivia time. So uh, one thing that I, I've really enjoyed about AEW is the whole tracking of wins in a year. So just wanted to see if we could guess who some of the top win getters from 2021 were. Uh, so this does include Dark, Elevation, Rampage, and Dynamite. So there um, are definitely some high high counts here. Um, I gone. I went back and forth on if I wanted to make you guess how many wins the person had, or if I wanted you to guess who the person is. I decided to go with uh, who the person is. So, the number one wrestler, and you guys, whoever, you both can give an answer. Uh, the number one wrestler. I'll let you go first. Let you go first. <laughs> thank you, thank you. In twenty twenty one, had forty five wins. Okay. And was a female. I will give you that. She's a female. Uh, I was gonna say. I think I know. Some guys. So, oh. uh, who do you believe that it was? Penelope Ford. Chris? I was going to go with Jade, but I'm going to go with Sheeta. Oh, oh, oh. You are both incorrect. Ty Conti. What? Oh, no, I thought yeah. you had it. 45 wins. What was that plaque that Sheeta got? What, what wasn't that? She was, she was sure. the first woman to 50 wins in AEW. Okay. Okay. Oh, Oh, okay. All right. The number one, the number one male superstar in wins had 40 wins. I think I know this. And it was the number two person overall in the company. Does this just include like singles matches or is this like tags? Um, not specified. Uh, It does not say, I would assume that this includes tags. Um, I don't know their first names, but it's one of the ass boys. Colton, is that a name? Chris, do you have a guess? I'm going to go with... uh, I'm going to go with Scorpio Sky. Oh. Both incorrect once again. Damn it. Orange Cassidy. Oh, yeah. I'm going obscure with this. Hone it in. All right, uh, I'm going to just pick a couple of other random ones that I thought were interesting. So the number three woman, number six overall, and wins. 34 wins total for the year. Who do you think it is? 
This one, if either of you get it, uh, I'll let you pick any item out of my house that you want to take home with you. You got a couple right. cats. I was going to say, yeah, I call the fucking cat. I <laughs> <laughs> hope you like my dog. You can go first this time, Chris. All right, let's go Nyla Rose. Uh, I was kind of thinking that. Um, no. Is it uh, like Emmy Sakura, whatever her, her name is? It's like the Freddie Mercury looking one. No. Damn it. Uh, so Chris was one off. Oh. Nyla was number seven. Shit. Uh, but number six, Red Velvet. Oh, oh fuck. Hey, you even wearing that? All right. Yeah. All right. Uh, last one here. Right, come on. Number t- number 10. Male, 32 wins. Um, I'm going to try to give you guys a little bit of a hint here yes, to see if, if this will help. Um, was not full time with AEW until about halfway through the year, but was doing stuff with AEW for a long time. Um. Hmm. Took away my first guess. Is in a tag team as well. In a tag team. In a tag team. Cut all this dead air. Yeah, I'm going to start singing or something like the the Jeopardy theme song. Um, Anything, Sean? um, He's in a tag team. Um... Oh, I don't know. Uh, Ethan Page? Incorrect. It is the son of the loose cannon, Brian Pillman Jr. Shocked. Shocked to see that he had 32 wins. That's wild. That seems like a lot for him. Kind of elevation. (laughs) It it was. Uh, Well, that'll do it for our trivia as well as this episode. Please be sure to subscribe to us on Apple or Spotify. Give us that five-star review to help us with the show. Uh, Visit WrestlingElitist.com for our latest match reviews and articles. And uh, please make sure that you share the rest of our content with the internet wrestling community. Finally, if you have a question or a topic that you'd like for us to address on the podcast, hit us up in the comments section wherever you stream your podcasts or email us directly through our website at WrestlingElitist.com. That's it, boys. Rick Rude, send us home. Hit the music!